For most of the offseason so far, when it comes to the Seattle Seahawks offense, the main question has been, who's going to run it? Well, now we know that Ryan Grubb in place as the offensive coordinator. And so now the question becomes, what is that offense going to look like? I'm going to tackle that question and all of those that come along with it with the outstanding Maddie Brown from across the pond, one of the co-hosts of the Seattle Overload podcast. We're going to look at that offensive scheme, how it might look different than what Grubb did in college, but also the same. We're going to tackle that question some people have about the middle of the field. What's the deal with that? and how his offense might fit the personnel on hand. Maddie Brown, joining me next on Seahawks Forever. Welcome to the Seahawks Forever podcast. In-depth analysis on everything Seahawks. And now, here's your host, Dan Viennes. Welcome back to the show, everybody. I'm Dan. You can follow me on Twitter at Seahawks Forever. Hit that like button, subscribe to the YouTube channel, and don't forget to hit the bell so that you're notified of new episodes, of which lately there have been many, because there's a lot to talk about. If you prefer audio podcasts, the show is available on all audio platforms. Make sure and hit subscribe for all the same reasons. And if you want to hear episodes without ads in them, you can subscribe on Spotify for less than a dollar a month. I'll put that link in the description. Or you can just buy me a coffee or a beer. That link will be down there. As well, thank you to all of you who've done that over the last week. Much appreciated. It never goes unnoticed by me or unappreciated that y'all take some time out of your day to watch or listen to this show and show its support uh, and reach out to me with the nice things that you say. Very, very much appreciated. Always appreciated it as well uh, when my guest today takes time to come on the show. We are... I don't know how many time zones apart. We are a half a world apart, um, but I always love chatting with Maddie. Uh, we were supposed to get together a couple weeks ago. It just didn't happen, um, but he made some time to come on the show. Uh, last night, actually, is when this conversation went down. I'm recording this on Tuesday, the 20th. Uh, the Combine now just a week away. We have that to look forward to. And uh, we can focus on personnel now. If you didn't catch my uh, full live mock draft yesterday, um, please do so. Love to hear your comments and feedback on that. All right, let's get into this. Uh, Maddie and I caught up last night to talk offense. But I had to start off, of course, asking him about someone that he knows quite well, someone from his part of the country. So we had to talk a little bit of defense to begin with. Uh, here's me and Maddie last night. First time catching up with Maddie Brown since all of the changes over at the VMAC. Joining me in the middle of the night, his time from across the pond in the UK, Maddie Brown of the Seattle Overload podcast. Thanks for joining me again. Yeah, no problem, Dan. Fun to be on. I think last time I said that uh, it was like a bold prediction last offseason that the Seahawks would have a top five run defense. And hey, if we cut it after like eight weeks of the season, right. bang on. <laughs> they had like the best run defense in the league. So uh, after yeah, that, was, after that Monday, since. yeah, after that Monday night game in New York, you were probably feeling pretty good about yourself there. Yeah, I was like, damn, <laughs> how about those one techniques? And uh, yeah, that, that didn't continue well we can recycle that this year and i'll just replay it and and then if it, if it works out that way then you come out looking the hero right there you go <laughs> uh so normally uh, i think in the past when you and i have talked we've we've spent a lot of time talking about defense um but i had griffin on fairly recently right before the coaching change and we did that i'm 
curious about some of your thoughts on what's happening on the offensive side of the ball or what we think might happen on the offensive side of the ball. But I cannot begin that conversation with you without first addressing uh, Adam Durday or Dirty. I got to get that right. Just when I thought I had it right, I've learned that I've been uh, pronouncing it wrong. Um, Adam Dirty, the new defensive coordinator of your Seattle Seahawks, a countryman of yours, and also someone who preceded you in a current position that um, that has your name on it as well. Tell me just your initial thoughts when you saw the hire and, and what it means for people over there right now. Yeah, well, technically, I, I don't ever think Dirty called uh, defensive plays at the London Olympians where, where I call plays. He actually did it for the London Warriors. I, th- I think it was the youth team where he was coaching, uh, uh, calling the plays there, um, the London Cobras. But he did play uh, football for, for the London Olympians uh, back in 2004 when I was seven years old. So <laughs> I don't know Dirty. <laughs> However, I do coach right now with people who coach Dirty when he was a player. Uh, and he came in as a um, uh, as a tight end. He played flag football, uh, which is like his exposure to the sport. Came in as a tight end. They moved him to fullback. Then they're like, "Hang on a second, this guy's really, really physical, uh, hardworking. Um, let's let's try and get him into NFL Europe, uh, which was a thing at the time, of course." So they moved him to linebacker, and he ended up going to NFL Europe. But um, the guy I coached with, uh, Rick Ayub, who's currently my defensive line coach back then he was uh dirty's head coach and defensive coordinator uh, he said how he understands people and while he never knew what players are going to achieve coming from the united kingdom it was clear dirty had the drive and love for the sport to break the kind of that ceiling because it's hmm. so rare what dirty's done i mean personally uh, me you know coaching the sport being really interested in the tactics but also just the coaching side and competing in that sense it's inspirational how he has risen up the ranks, uh, what he's done for growing the game in terms of uh, the international uh, player development, as well as, um, you know, just being really involved with the community. Uh, I know he had a business where he'd, he'd help uh, uh, before he ended up going to America, where he'd help kind of kids get into the sport. Um, yeah. And, and, and uh, uh, Rick also described to me how he'd challenge himself and others around him. Uh, and then Murray Dumas, who was the Olympians' offensive coordinator back then, worked with him as a, a tight end, then a fullback, and uh, is currently the head coach of the Olympians, who my head coach right now. He said how he's a really great person, very straightforward, and you get what you see. And every time I, I, I listen to Dirty just talk, uh, he was on a great podcast, actually. Um, it's a rugby podcast. I keep forgetting the name of it, which is terrible, mm. but he did it back uh, in July 2023. He's the same guys in in the press conference, and you know he spoke himself about the importance of consistency. But I think what Seattle's getting is the perfect candidate for. Yeah, he's not going to call plays initially, but you know him and Mike McDonald described how they view defensive uh, football kind of similarly in certain senses. That might be quite abstract because I think Dirty's the perfect guy to kind of mold into. Uh, that eventually being a play caller, but also look how he's risen up the ranks. He's clearly got something about him. I think just hearing him talk about football and his coaching style, uh, you know, in his press conference, in his radio interviews, uh, but also on this podcast I referenced, which I, I, I'm annoyed I'm blanking on the name of it. We'll just blurt anyway, it out so, later if it comes to your mind. Yeah, We're, there you we're, go. we're um, informal here. There you go. Um, he, uh, 
he's very, very consistent and he seems really switched on to coaching and his just passion for teaching players and getting to know players. And, uh, you know, he's been... He says how he had his chip on his shoulder in his radio interview. And yeah. Every time, right, and I'm slightly familiar with this, but every time, uh, you know, he opens his mouth, there's always the person who's making the hilarious joke that he has a British accent, which, haha, he does. That is quite funny. I get it. But also... Uh, you know, I, I have it on good authority that when he was in Carolina as a player uh, after, because after NFL Europe, he was good enough to get uh, spots with uh, Atlanta and then Carolina yeah. on the practice squad. And in Carolina training camp, fans were calling him a bum, like shouting stuff at him because he's from Britain, saying like he didn't belong there, all that type of stuff. So like, what's bizarre? You know, he's been through so, so much to get to this point. Um it's kind of like it's kind of like uh, the inverse of Ted Lasso, a little bit. There you go. Except <laughs> except uh, that he has football experience. <laughs> right, right, and uh, yeah, yeah. His his personality is pretty different to Ted Lasso, I'd say. So yeah. Anyway, <laughs> although he sure seemed comfortable in front of the microphone at that uh, press conference, I, I thought it was interesting, and you touched on it that um, he just. I don't know if you can see Butch causing havoc. In the background there, but that's my cat. No, I did not. Nice. <laughs> Something just fell off back there. <laughs> just heard. Uh, probably picked up on the mic better than it did the camera. Um, just that, you know, there were no connections there at all, really, other than, you know, the Dan Quinn connection there and the information that John Schneider would have gotten uh, when seeking out candidates. But I think it fits in with what we've seen from this coaching staff overall, is it? Um, and part of that was born out of necessity because, they hired Mike McDonald so late in the process. A lot of guys that maybe would have been on their radar for coordinator and assistant jobs were snapped up and had taken jobs elsewhere. So they had to get a little more creative. But I also kind of think it's the way John Schneider operates and the way his brain works is, is they really aren't afraid to, to look anywhere or turn over any stone and look outside the lines. It's what brought Schneider to McDonald with no previous connections. It's what uh, Mc, brought McDonald to many of his assistants who hadn't worked with him before. Ryan Grubb kind of fits that mold. They had met a year prior at the combine and kind of stayed in touch, but they never worked together. They didn't really, really have any solid ties of guys that they both worked under or anything like that. And yet here we are uh, with Ryan Grubb, a guy who's never coached a day in his life in the NFL, taking over the offensive coordinator duties in that process that, that went on, I think, a longer, a lot longer than than most of us wanted to. Uh, you know, fans want answers and guys like you and I, just, we just want answers so we can talk about it. That process went on for a while and there were some ebbs and flows and Grubb seemed like the front runner at first. And then it kind of seemed like they were going to go a different direction throughout the process when it came time to name a guy, was was Grubb kind of your first choice? Was he the guy you wanted? Or was there another guy in the process that you were leaning towards before the final announcement was made? I, I was intrigued by the idea of um, Tanner Engstrand, right? Mm -hmm. that, that was interesting to me, just his experience under Harbour. Uh, if you go back and be a sicko and look at his you know, FCS um, offense uh, at San Diego, right? It's um, really physical, really heavy personnel. And then you go and see what he's done with uh, the Lions and his kind of experience with that kind of drop back game, that drop back passing game and how that would have blended it. That seemed intriguing to me. Grubb, 
I like, I really like the idea of, um, and you know, why I like the idea is, wow, look what he did in college, but why I'm also liking the idea isn't, is a reason to be scared, you know, which is it's ambitious in that, you know, how does his offense translate from college to the NFL? Does it translate? Is it more, uh, you know, about actually kind of what he was able to do on a larger scale in college rather than the specific plays or the specific concepts? Um, I imagine that's part of it. And when they went and did it, a bit like kind of dirty on the defense side of the boards we spoke about, uh, I think it's really kind of a an ambitious, exciting young hire where they've gone, well, let's let's just get a guy who's really, you know, seems to be a really good coach and uh, he's got a proven track record at every stop he's been at. And obviously in Grubb's case, he's been a, a very successful play caller, um, not just at Washington, but... Um, when uh, Deboa returned to Fresno State, he he started doing really interesting things there as well. And then he uh, came out at his press conference a couple of days ago and, and talked a little bit about his philosophy, his plans. Um, he used the term personnel-based scheme, and he talked a lot about how adaptable he is and, and how he would adapt what he did and what he has done and what he will do to what he has on, on hand on the roster. Um, and he has shown that kind of adaptability all throughout his career, even even going all the way back to when he was offensive line coach at Eastern Michigan and some of the things he did there and and, and other times where he's had an opportunity to call plays, whether at, at, at the small school ranks or at Fresno, um, he has shown the ability to uh, do the things that he said at his press conference he was going to do, which which isn't always the case, right? We we got a lot of promises from Shane Waldron and Pete Carroll while while Waldron was here that we didn't necessarily see translate translate onto the field. Based on everything you've heard him say and what you've seen on tape, what are your expectations of what the offense is going to look like under him? Well, I don't think it's going to look like, you know, to your point about matching personnel, matching the situation, matching the kind of different world of the NFL where there's they're tied to hash marks um, and there's kind of different personnel getting out onto the field, slightly different defensive structures. You know, certain things are possible, certain things aren't possible compared to college. You know, it's not going to be a, a, an exact match. I don't think it will be quite as vertical as Washington, uh, but I think you're going to get a. I mean, his run game. It, Washington at times, particularly in 2022, uh, well, also 2022, I guess, but they just didn't run the ball as much. But in 2022, they ran the ball a bit more, um, and it seemed very, very diverse. I think just like on a on a broad level, you just watch the tape, and there's very few kind of missed assignments. Everyone's doing a really mm. good job of kind of executing their their role on the given play. Um, I don't think it's going to be as kind of vertical shot, shot, shots um, as they were able to do. But that is definitely an answer that he likes to kind of, you know, if doing like a slot fade or, or uh, you know, switch verticals. Um, obviously, when you have a Dunze as your receiver, that helps. Yeah. But then you're going to have DK Metcalf and, Paul, and Tyler Lockett And McMillan. Too. Yeah. Right, right. Um, you, you, but you're going to have DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, um, mm-hmm. and Jackson Smith and Jigba and Jake Bobo, who... Uh, who who grub uh, actually you mentioned him yeah as a name right right so uh, what it looks like in Seattle I think it's a, you know it's a combination of um, what they did at Washington I'm I'm actually interested as well into you know how spread is this offense going to be because at Washington it's pretty spread uh, out even when there's you know one or two tight ends on the field the receiver splits are quite spaced out obviously the tie to hash marks the NFL that isn't necessarily possible, but 
you know, they, they lent quite a bit on empty formations. You know, how much of that are they going to do uh, or are they going to be able to do? You know, how much more under-centered did they feel compelled to use? Um, yeah. And then how many of the kind of like pain in the butt formations for defenses that they're going to be able to run? Because in college, you can really get into like problematic looks when you align your formation into the short side. Um, and while that's still a thing in the NFL, it's nowhere near as big a thing. Uh, but in college, every formation, I, you know, and then and then a shift and then a, a motion. I'm like, wow, that's a real pain in the butt. In the NFL, it's still difficult, but I, uh, I think it's more about the the motion and the shifting that's going to be a really exciting thing. I think he'll find ways to get make corners have to be in the run fit and make tackles. And I think the big factor will be how he overcomes what Shane Waldron struggled with at times, which was well. You know, Seattle has the, some decisions to make around the tight ends, but they've mm-hmm. got a really good third receiver in Jackson Smith and Jigba. So good, in fact, that they picked him 20 overall. So good, in fact, that he could, in fact, be the the number two wide receiver in Seattle, given, you know, see how Tyler Lockett uh, develops in terms of his career, uh, his age. You know, how does how does he get Jackson Smith and Jigba involved? But from what I saw of the the Washington stuff, you know, they do a bit of everything. It's more just that Michael Penix is a quarterback who really likes the outside of the numbers stuff, so you naturally dial that up a bit more. Um, and then the kind of areas where they may have been lacking, what I'm excited about in, in that sense is their assistant hires. Yeah. I mean, you, you go and get Jake Peets, who I know LSU fans aren't, aren't big on what he was doing, but he's had experience under, you know, Sean McVay, which... <laughs> You're hired, but right. it's not that, you know. He's maybe got like five guys getting hired every year. Right, right. Maybe not that simple, but <laughs> he's going to be able to kind of continue, uh, you know, those elements of McVeigh from Shane Waldron, but also there's a reason that a lot of teams in the NFL are looking for McVeigh coaches because McVeigh's uh, bootlegs concepts, um, but also his gun dropback game, it has been very, very impressive. And, you know, there's a kind of crossover with what Grubb did occasionally with the gun drop back game, but you know, you kind of needed a bit of that. And then he goes and gets um, the guy as, as the quarterbacks coach. Is it Charles London? Am I, uh, I believe, I believe it is. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Um, as the, as the quarterbacks coach, right. And he's with the Titans um, and, and Arthur Smith. So that's quite exciting to me because um uh, because that's quite an interesting offense in terms of how they target the uh, short to intermediate levels, the kind of, again, the, the dig roots, the stuff that maybe you didn't quite see in Washington and you, it's kind of more NFL-y. Not that what Washington did wasn't NFL-y, it's just so uh, vertical and no. maybe not as much intermediate stuff. And the stuff which is intermediate is just basically a variant on you know, verticals or Y cross, but more kind of stuff designed to get to that numbers range or get a different type of route down the field open. More kind of the the stuff that London and um, Pete's Mm-hmm. <laughs> bring in mm-hmm. uh it's a lot of new coaches we gotta try and keep it all that i know it's an absolute uh, mess but they kind of bring in that nfl uh we're gonna we're running this primary stuff to get the intermediate open so mm. uh the the other thing i wanted to say about grub is 
yeah, they took they took shots and everything. Um, but their offensive line, even if they're taking the shots, their offensive line didn't have to. It didn't often feel that exposed. Like he no. dressed it up well. That you know, not bootleg stuff, but just straight play action. You know, where it's just the quarterback dropping straight back, not rolling or anything, not moving the pocket. But they mixed up their protections really well to to give the offensive line like good assignments and. And, and, and give Penix time to get those plays off. Uh, I, I felt it was very well married to what, you know, what they had up front because, I mean, I could be off base, but uh, I, I felt Washington's offensive line wasn't the best, particularly their offensive tackles, and yet they're still able to get the uh, kind of the, the deep passing concepts going. And some of that also is it's a sideline shot and to throw a sideline shot actually... Of all the of all the deep passing plays, a sideline shot is is the quickest to come out because yeah. the the guy's already there, right? He just has to run on the field. You throw it up, and there you go. Um, and you talk about so, adaptability, adaptability. You talk about personnel based scheme, and and there are some who um, who have tried to make the connection that well, Geno Smith would fit well in a in a in a Ryan Grubb offense because he's mm. similar in style in some ways in how he uh, can push the ball down the field to mm-hmm. Michael Penix. But yet I think about like the year he got out of Jake Hayner at Fresno state three years ago, he, he did it in a much different way and go, you know, for, for those of you listening and watching, go look at Jake Hayner's numbers uh, from, from his final year at, at Fresno state there, or uh, I don't think it was, I think he played one year after DeBoer left. He came out in the draft last year, went to New Orleans, um, mm-hmm. but in a much different way, much more mobile guy, much smaller guy. And, and, and they would do some things with him uh, to take advantage of that. But like he's gotten similar production, massive numbers out of two very, very different quarterbacks at two different programs. I thought that was interesting. One criticism I hear over and over again, and I haven't broken down the tape. I've only watched Washington, you know, just watched a bunch of games live, of course, living here in the area. And then as a WSU alum, I've watched what they've done to us the last couple of years. But some people have said, well, he doesn't like to use the middle of the field. But is that... Is that a Ryan Grubb thing? Is that a Michael Penix thing? Or is that just a, a case of he he just had such dynamic weapons on the outside and they were able to beat teams uh, on the sidelines mostly that that's, that's where they leaned into? Yeah, that's, well, that's a very good question. I, You know, again, you referenced the, ref, uh, the Fresno State stuff. Um, I watched one I only had all 22 for one of those games, which is the, the Oregon game where Fresno State went really close against Oregon in 2021. And um, they were there's a bit more over the middle stuff. I, I, yeah, I think it's more just a Penix thing. But like I said, I think the way that they've hired these assistants uh, kind of makes up for that too, along with, you know, it, it's just the college hashes. Like if they, if they ever get mm-hmm. one-on-one on the outside, you know you're getting the kind of, ways of separating against one-on-one on the outside, which are going to go vertical outside the numbers, not over the middle. Uh, he's very, very good at um, getting root concepts uh, called in and w- with the details correctly executed uh, to beat those coverages vertically outside. I don't know necessarily if he's had the kind of quarterback to to, to throw in the intermediate um, over the middle areas, really. Uh, I, I mean, with at Fresno State, they had mesh, um, but that's more kind of shallow intermediate. And mm. when sorry, not shallow intermediate, shallow over the middle. 
And really, when you throw that, it's more kind of um, going towards the sideline, like on the hashes, not on the middle, middle, and on the college hashes, in fact. But yeah, I, I don't think it's a grub thing. I, I, that kind of seems like a straight, I don't think that's the right criticism. That's more kind of a criticism from what I've seen of, like, of Penix. Um, mm. There was a lot of plays where there's a guy actually over the middle who who's kind of open and Penix, you know, he, he just goes for a sideline shot. And why wouldn't you when there's a guy out there? But also, yeah. you know, there, there's kind of some separation over the middle at times. And uh, Gino Smith, uh, it, you know, if you look at his heat map, there's certain areas of the middle of the field that he really likes targeting. Uh, even if overall, perhaps, uh, Seattle's offense last year didn't go over the middle as much as like the the heaviest NFL offenses targeting those areas. We still don't know for sure and won't for a while uh, if Geno Smith is going to be the guy or not. There are some who think that just because they let last Friday come and go without making a move that he's on, he's a lock to make, to be on the roster. Um, mm. It's that March 18th date that, that really might be a little bit more um, impactful with a, with the roster bonus of almost $10 million coming due at that mm-hmm. point. If he is, still on the roster uh if he is the starter opening day um are you intrigued are you excited are you curious uh about the, the about the match and what ryan grubb might be able to do for geno smith oh yeah of course yeah absolutely i'm, I'm curious because i think um geno's kind of a quarterback you can do any, anything with the the big question is the the offensive line yeah. which which kind of brings us nicely to um to scott huff and mm-hmm. the fact that he came with Ryan Grubb and, you know, again, need to look at Washington. Is is there something to, you know, I don't know how good an offensive line coach he is. I need to study more at that kind of stuff and talk to more people about that. But just having the system familiarity and like I mentioned, they had the offensive line to kind of hold up on the concepts they were running, right? It didn't appear like a massive liability when I was watching the games that I did. Uh, I watched the 2023 season and then a bit of a, uh, 2022. But, um, you know, Gino's the sixth highest uh, pressured quarterback in the league last year, despite his time to throw being only slightly slower than the average. You know, there's all type. I wrote an article, Seahawks on tape.com, on, uh, on the kind of data behind Gino Smith's uh, 2023 a decline in basic raw numbers. And really, the, the data shows that when Gino, um, after like a shaky first half where there could be other reasons for that, and again, comes back to a big part of that is better detailed coaching across the board from from the offensive coaching staff um, being required. Along with Gino having you know shaky games, remember Week Six against Cincinnati. No, oh, yeah, uh, that was a that was a really <laughs> weird one. But um, you know, in that last half of the season where he played well um, without pressure, um, and by the way, if you're being pressured, even plays when you're not pressured are going to be impacted because you're going to be a bit more skittish and have less faith in the pocket mm. and your offensive coordinator is going to have less faith in the plays they can call, right? Yeah. But the the last half of the season, so when I say last half for Gino, that's his last seven games versus his first eight because he obviously missed two of injury. Um, when he was pressured, uh, he, he played pretty well as well. But on third down, even though Seattle's offensive line managed to improve kind of in the amount of pressure percentage they allowed overall, um, on third down, uh, they allowed 51.3% um, of the third downs to be to be pressured, which is actually worse than the, the first eight games of the season. So they, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I wrote an article on it, but re- really, 
yeah, Gino, Gino would look good in, in this offense, yes. But the, the key for me is can they uh, protect for him? Um, there's obviously some decisions they need to make on the interior of their yeah. offensive line. There's a question, a growing question mark over the right tackle, which looked like, wow, you've hit in the draft and now Abraham Lucas is dealing with that unfortunate knee thing and you have to see if his uh, operation that he underwent in the offseason kind of cleans itself up um, and that does the job, right? Right. Uh, but, and we, and we yeah, don't even know what that is. I mean, all we have yeah. is just that, the cryptic Instagram post from Lucas himself showing himself in a, you know, with an IV right. and, a, right. and a cap. He's, <laughs> right. He, he said when he came back that he'd take care of it in the offseason. So right. he, he's, he's done that. But yeah, um, yeah. so, pers- you know, my personal belief is, uh, yeah, they, they, they have to take care of the offensive line. And what Huff showed at Washington is, and he, you know, he's described by McDonald as an offensive line guy at heart. I mm. like how he's coached. Um, oops, as I throw a pen in excitement. Uh, I like how he's coached um, all parts of the offense, but he is an offensive line guy at heart. And as you reference his time as an offensive line coach, right? Um, yeah. He showed that he can, he's not leaving the offensive line out to dry. He's giving them kind of a, a variety of run concepts and that they, it seems kind of well married. It doesn't seem disjointed. They, it just seems like it's suiting the offensive line. So that's encouraging for Seattle. I mean, because it's easy to rag on the offensive line. Like, easy to go, hey, they're not good enough. Why aren't they pass protecting? Why is Gina so pressured? Well, there's more that goes into it than that, right? There's there's so many different things that can influence, um, make the offensive line job. Uh, even harder than it already is. And I think Seattle suffered from that on, on their offense last season. It wasn't just that, uh, you know, Anthony Bradford was thrown into action at right guard to yeah. mention the one name. Did you have a chance to to give a good look to the national championship game? Not the all 22. Okay. Uh, because I, I need to, I need to find that, but uh, yeah. Yeah, I, that, I, I that, ask because that's the one thing that gives some people pause. Like, hey, you know, the Washington, that mm-hmm. offense looked great all year, except for a couple of times, you know, kind of Arizona, Arizona State, the two Arizona schools kind of slowed them down a little bit. Um, but, you know, Michigan pretty much kicked their butts all over the field and 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 really beat up Michael Penix, got to him in a way that that nobody else had throughout the year and 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 so there's some people who are thinking mm, I don't know what was it that Michigan did to them to make it so hard on on Ryan Grubb in that offense and then you know couldn't some of the teams in the NFL pattern themselves it just without the all 22 you know what do you think it was that 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 kind of took the wind out of their sails in that game well I think Penix is uh some of Penix's is uh limitations or you know areas he needs to improve on in the nfl was shown michigan did a great job disguising things Hmm. michigan also that the other thing to that i think michigan dared uh panics to throw the kind of over the middle stuff which he kind of struggled with right and then it's a big question mark really that that's a game that he'll have to answer for as well um when it comes to this pre-draft process for him right yeah um the other thing was Michigan's DBs did a really good job against the kind of slot fade routes, the the kind of sideline uh, routes where uh, which Penix really likes hitting, and and they just played with really good technique. 
And I think the biggest factor was Michigan just absolutely dominated Washington in the trenches, just completely manhandled them. And that's always going to be tough. And, you know, I talked about the offensive line and I didn't think it was the best, but they did a good job marrying stuff. But this is the national championship. And while uh, Texas, they were okay up front, but, you know, in terms of their structure as well up front, it's you can maybe live with that a bit more, a bit more kind of odd front looks and all, all that type of stuff, maybe three-man rush going on. Michigan's just like, okay, we're going to we're gonna threaten pressure. You know, similar to what Seattle's uh, head coach is kind of, kind of bring in with uh, the kind of Ravens thing. Jesse Minter doing a great job there this yeah. last season. Uh, we're going to we're gonna have some absolute dogs up front. And uh, the Washington Huskies, uh, they, they struggle with that. With it's, it's one of the most fascinating things, I think, about this staff as it's come together is that when you look at that game in particular is, uh, is you had Ryan Grubb calling plays and you had him getting shut down by a defensive scheme that was installed by his boss yep. now and the guy that Seattle hired like like you know immovable force against it you know whatever that cliche is like what's yes. what's gonna get what's gonna what's gonna overcome right yeah so what does that I've, I've been thinking about that a lot like what what does that say about um how highly McDonald uh, rates grub you know that even with that he's and I I will get the all 22 I just haven't yet. Yeah, I will get it. Um, I I tend to think it there there has to be some sort of connection where Mike McDonald knew that whole staff at Michigan. Clearly, obviously knows Jim Harbaugh well. Worked mm-hmm. for his brother and worked for him for a year, and so there had to be some indication. This is my opinion that you know Jim must have said to him or Jesse Minter said to him, "Man, that offense was hard to hard to prepare for. Like we kicked their ass, but they were hard to prepare for." And yeah, I mean. There had to be some feedback along those lines. It's like I said, all all the kind of motions and the shifting and the the formations they get into and the types of formations they get into are like just a pain in the ass to prepare for, right? Yeah. Pain in the butt. And um, the the kind of the the other factor to that is they seem to just you know watching them, they seem to not run many plays. But they have their kind of core concepts, which is something which they spoke about in the press conference, right? But they have their core concepts, but then they seem to have a variety of looks they can get into that are very, very challenging for a defense. And then they'll shift into a very another very challenging look. And then they'll motion to widen someone out and make his job even more difficult. Yeah. And it, I think it's that top part of it. And the fact that even against Michigan, I, I think their game plan was probably fine, like probably sound, but, you know, Ultimately, if you can't pass pro, um, you, you, you know, if you got a banged up best running back, if you yeah, got there were Penix there were some other factors, and, yeah, for sure, hell, yeah, there's 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 other stuff going on, but yeah, yeah, I, I think to me, like the fact that McDonald was like, oh, he sucked against a similar defense to mine, and yeah, I see the vision, and also I see his whole body of work, uh, that is very exciting, and I, this is the hire when McDonald was hired, right? He said about. It really stood out to me. He said, when he was asked about the, the Seahawks offense, he said um, he wants it to be similar to the defense in the kind of core concepts thing, right? And then he said, we want to build a system that's unique to the Seattle Seahawks that's going to live here for a long time and who is going to be the one spearheading it. And I think Grubb is that type of guy who can come up with a 
pretty unique system. And, and what that might look like is a lot of kind of these disgusting spread style formations in, in the NFL and 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 shifting and motion. And it was Andy Reid who said that the the college is five years ahead of the NFL. Now, don't get me wrong. We've seen guys like Cliff Kingsbury come into the NFL and try like uh, spread it out, but yeah. he was quite static still and pretty obvious and um, borderline kind of gimmicky or gadgety, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and super super air raid to start off with, and then just kind of uninspiring. But I think Grub, the vision, along with those assistants that we've talked about. Uh, yeah, I'm. It's, it's so ambitious because I think he can do a lot of stuff, and it's going to be really difficult for defenses. And he'll also understand, you would hope, how to, how to deploy the Metcalf, Lockett, uh, Smith, and Jigba uh, trilogy. Even though skill set wise, as as Waldron showed, as I've talked about, that is uh, that there's some challenges there. But I'm I'm really excited to see how Grub kind of, uh, well, how he deploys them, how how he gets it done. One of the most fascinating offenses or off seasons in uh, in a long, long time, maybe ever for the Seahawks, because mm-hmm. we have all these we have all the uh, all the speculation and all these these um, theories and and things that we think we know about Mike McDonald and Ryan Grubb and the rest of the staff, but we don't know what the roster looks like. We don't know how they're going to approach free agency in the draft and John Schneider's first year of of really having sole ownership of all those responsibilities. It's um, so much to talk about. I could keep you here another hour, but I know it's late there and, uh, and the coffee's only going to last so long. Right. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I should get another one. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll catch up again after the roster's more set and we get closer to training camp and, and kind of get some clues as to which direction they might be headed, but always love having your insight. Um, let people know, uh, about the Seattle overload podcast and the other work that you do. Oh, yeah. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me. Always a good time. Uh, Seahawksontape.com is where I post kind of uh, data film pieces on, on Seattle. Like I said, uh, Geno Smith uh, data kind of look was out and I'm going to have a piece on the Ravens run defense, Dan, which um, the second half of the season was uh, about as bad as Seattle. Uh, Interesting. So, Okay. That's uh so maybe the Seahawks defense can they stop the run uh, the third time of asking hmm. we'll have to find I'm out. A little, now I'm intrigued. I'm a little afraid, but I'll have to check <laughs> that out. There you go. Um and then so that should be out by the time you're listening to this. Uh and yeah, the Seattle Overload podcast. And uh on Twitter what's your handle there? At Matty F for Football Brown. There you go. Matty as always thanks for being on the show man. We'll talk soon. Thanks, Dan. All right. If you've never checked out the Seattle Overload podcast, you definitely should. Griffin Sturgeon and Taya Dane Gonzalez, also part of that three-headed monster over there. If you like X's and O's, I mean, they get into it. I have learned so much from listening to those guys. Every time one of them comes on the show, I learn something. And it also reminds me of uh, what I don't know which is why I like to have so many guests on this show. Brings the interviewer out in me, but also the curious student. And I always feel like I learn something from my guests when they come on the show, and hopefully you do too. And if you do and you like it, hit all those subscribe buttons and all that stuff. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, you can leave a review there as well. Um, 
Some five-star reviews came in over the weekend. Very, very much appreciate the support. I'm Dan. You can follow me on Twitter at Seahawks Forever. Dana O'Gorman will be uh, joining me tomorrow to catch up with her for the first time officially since all of the coaching changeover has happened. My former Field Goals podcast host, and uh, we did the PSF app thing last year as well. Uh, Always good to catch up with Dana. So check that out tomorrow. Until then, forever and always, go Hawks. Go Hawks.